for blessing us with him. God, we ask that you would uh, right now bless him now, God. Would you anoint his mind, anoint his heart, God? Would you make his words your words and your words his words, God, that we would be hearing directly from you, God? Would you encourage us? Would you convict us? And God, would you move us closer to you in holiness? God, may we not stray in our mind left or right, God. May we be focused, God. May you become more beautiful in our mind from what we hear now. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you hear me now? You can? Good. I'm going to move back. All right. All right. So here we are, Good Friday. A couple weeks ago, I reached out to the guys and I said, all right, guys, here's a plan. I'm going to preach one week, Maddie's got one week, Kyle's got one week, and I'll do Good Friday. So it is now Good Friday, um, and it was just cool to sit back and listen to Matt and Kyle and listen to how God was crafting the messages and the themes, and then now here we are. So I am going to be in Psalm chapter 22, uh, and as we're turning to Psalm chapter 22, one of the things, I don't want to say it bugs me, but one of the things that intrigues me, let's say that, about life is how significant words are and how quickly words lose their meaning. Like, for example, somebody sneezes. What are you supposed to say? God bless you. You know what that means, God bless you? And what does it mean, really, like, for God to bless someone? You know, somebody does good at a, a school project, you say, oh, that's awesome. What does it mean, awesome? It means blessing the blood. Give me a second. I mean, think about this. We even say things in our Christianity that are amazing, unbelievable things that sometimes lose their meaning. Jesus died for me. What does that for mean? Jesus died for me. You say, well, he died on my behalf, okay? He died in my place. What does that really mean, though? What does it mean for Jesus to die? You say, Jesus died for my sins. What are sins? And why are sins so important that sins end up killing people? Namely, Jesus. Jesus was around during the first century, uh, during that time period, thousands of Jews were executed on crosses, thousands of them. Uh, why is it important that Jesus was dying on the cross? Why make such a big deal? Like, have you ever thought through all of these things and been like, man, I feel like I've lost the significance of everything of what everything really means. God bless you. Thank you. Please. All right. What does it mean? Okay. So in Psalm 22, uh, we're going to figure out a couple of those things. Here, here's the first thing, though. So God creates us, and we all know this story. God creates us in his image and his likeness. And when he creates our first parents, Adam and Eve, he brings them together and he says, Hey, guys, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. But Genesis says something very interesting. Before God commands them to be fruitful and multiply, it says 
And the Lord God blessed them. Then he told them to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. It means then, hey, Adam and Eve, I got this amazing job for you. You guys are going to represent me on the earth, um, but you have my blessing. Like, you're going to be successful, and I'm 100% behind you in everything you do. The first thing our parents heard was that God was with them, and he was fully supporting of them, and every little seed that they planted, and every little tree that sprouted, he was going to celebrate because he blessed them. That's what it means to be blessed by God. Is that God's behind you, and he's going to ensure that the mission he sends you on, that you will be successful in, and that he's going to celebrate every single victory more than you do. Isn't that true if you're a parent? Your kid does something awesome. You're happier than they are. I used to play baseball. I used to make awesome plays in baseball. My mom used to say, it was like the end of the world. It's like, mom, this is, it's, a, it's a, I got on first base. <laughs> she was blessing me. And you know, in blessing Adam and Eve, I didn't figure this out until I became a parent. In blessing Adam and Eve, God was blessing himself. You know, we're so centered on ourselves all the time. In blessing Adam and Eve, he was blessing himself because there's nothing a parent loves more than to see their child blessed. So there we are. You got God who's the great father. You got Adam and Eve. And there we go. We know the story. We fell into sin. God had to exile our first parents from the garden. And then he had to watch as Cain kills his brother Abel. And then... The, the world became infested with a bunch of canes to the point where God had to flood the earth. As a matter of fact, he said, I'm wounded and I regret that I made man. And then we get off the boat, because he kept eight for himself. We get off the boat, and what's the first thing that Noah hears when he gets off the boat? He blessed them. Here's something very curious, though. One of Noah's sons acts all crazy, and does something really terrible. I'm not going to get into the details. And Noah goes off the scene, and Noah curses, not his son, but his grandson. He curses him, and, and Catherine was saying, well, I mean, was it you? Say, how could you just curse somebody? Like, do you have some, like, magical power of being able to curse somebody, and now the universe has to kind of get arranged so that your life is in shambles? And my response was, well, when Noah was cursing this guy, he was really just repeating God's opinion of that guy. So normally in the Old Testament, the father generally blesses the son and says, all right, now you're going to carry on the family name and the family mission, and I'm behind you and God's behind you. It is an exception and not the rule that a son gets cursed by their father. As a matter of fact, I can only think of that one time in the Old Testament or the entire Bible where that ever happened. You remember a couple months ago, we did the series of Jacob and Esau and how those brothers fought almost to the death just to hear the blessing of the Father. And so we are still a blessed people, but we're still sinful people. And what ended up happening was we began to follow false gods. And so what God did was he said, you know what, I'm splitting up humanity. You guys go over there, you worship your own gods, but I'm going to keep a people for myself. That's Abraham. 
And Abraham creates his whole nation of Israel. And he says, look, you guys are in covenant with me. And here is one of the markers of the covenant. I'll be your God. And what? You'll be my people. You know, there is a sense in which God is the technical God of every human being on the planet, right? But there's another sense in a relational sense in which he is not. You know, the God of the Canaanites was Molech and Ashtarosh and all those other terrible people. Gods, whatever. Demons. But he said, Israel is for me. I've reserved Israel for myself, so I'll be your God. You be my people. That's what it means. You know, sometimes this is another phrase. Well, my God wouldn't do X, Y, or Z. I don't think of myself like, are you covenant with God? Do you even know what it means when you say my God? That's a covenantal term. That means that you and God are in an actual relationship and you're going to devote yourself to him because he's devoted himself to you. That's what it means when you say my God. The Israelites constantly over and over again, violate the terms of their covenant and go off and worship other gods. And God told them, if you keep the terms of the covenant, I'll bless you, but if you break them, I'll what? I'll curse you. you got to go. So he exiles them. But all throughout the Old Testament, there's a promise that there's one coming who's going to keep covenant with God perfectly. Who's that? Jesus. And so Jesus comes onto the scene. And he does amazing miracles, and he does amazing teachings, and he teaches us to love our neighbors, ourselves, turn the other cheek, beautiful stuff. But here's the problem. The time that Jesus was in was full of turmoil and terrorism. By the way, a crucifixion is an act of terrorism. You realize that. It's You're looking at this person being crucified, and you're saying, hey, if you mess with Rome, this will happen to you. That's terrorism. And so Jesus, we saw this last week. Let's say yesterday, but it's still stuck with me like it's yesterday. The unfair trial of Jesus Christ. First of all, they had the, the Jewish Sanhedrin, they had the trial at night against their law. You're not supposed to have the trial at night during that time. You're supposed to have it during the daytime. Unfair. Had a bunch of false witnesses. That should have created a mistrial. They kept going. Unfair. Do you know what the statement was that got Jesus turned over to Pilate? The statement from Jesus was, I'm the son of God and you're, I'm the guy from Daniel 7. That got him turned over to Pilate. That's not a capital offense. Somebody had to fulfill that prophecy. That got him turned over to Pilate. Pilate, seeing Jesus Knowing that he was innocent, wanted nothing to do with crucifying Jesus, sends him away. Just complete and total injustice. And then they bring Jesus over, and he's got Barabbas. And Barabbas is an insurgent. He is a terrorist. He had just killed a Roman soldier in an uprising that week, probably. And so Pilate's like, okay, I got this guy who's a troublemaker, but then I got this guy who's going around healing people and making bread and petting puppies. There's no way in the world they're going to choose Barabbas over Jesus. So they bring Barabbas and Jesus forward. And Pilate says, all right, guys, I'm going to let one of you guys go. Who do you want? They said, give us Barabbas. Give us a guy who's actually doing something about this oppression. Where we're done with this Jesus guy stomach probably still full, full of the bread that he miraculously fed them. Eyes. 
calling out with rage that he probably healed. Give us Barabbas. Forget that, Jesus. He's, he's, his time's over. We've used him up. We're done with him. Pilate says, Barabbas? Well, what do you want me to do with Jesus? What did they say? Crucify him! I mean, think of the day that Jesus had, or the night that Jesus had. He's sitting around with the best friends he had in the world, knowing full well that every single one of them was going to abandon him. He is breaking bread with Peter, and Peter, God bless him, Jesus knows that he's going to deny him three times. As a matter of fact, the last time Peter denied him, he said, I don't know the man, that guy. Won't even mention his name. Judas is going to sell him out, betray him for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver to the Jewish people was the price that you would pay to redeem a slave. If a slave was gored by an ox, you could, you could pay yourself off with 30 pieces of silver. So he's looking at Judas and goes, I am worth nothing more to you than a slave. I know that. He has worked for three and a half years to teach his disciples humility. And do you know what they're arguing about in the upper room? Who's going to be the greatest? I mean, if you're going to die, at least you're able to say, you know, I, I, you know, we deal with this as teachers, right? It's like, you know, if your life is going bad, one of the, and I'll let you in a little secret, one of the things you do as a teacher is go, well, at least the things that I'm teaching people is catching and lives are being changed because of it. And here's Jesus. He's listening to them argue with one another. And he's like, these guys are exactly in the same spot as they were when I met them three and a half years ago. Just terrible, terrible day. And now here he is in front of his people. The people that he loves. The people that he just cried his eyes out over a day or three before. Because their city was going to be destroyed. And what are they saying? After he's beaten with an inch of his life, what do they say? Is there a hint of pity for Jesus? They say, crucify him. You know, how could they do that to Jesus? They? You don't hear yourself in the crowd? No, serious question. You don't hear yourself? You never used Jesus in your life? never used God for what he can do for you? You've never been like low-key angry at God because he didn't order your life the way that he was supposed to? You haven't chosen a Barabbas over Jesus? Never done that before? You don't hear yourself in the crowd? I don't watch this movie a lot, Passion of the Christ. I don't, I don't really watch that movie a ton, but there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is here, and he's hearing, crucify him! And he, and he looks up, and he, and he sees a dove, and it's sort of like, God's like, take courage, Jesus. A beautiful scene. You know what God said to me? He said, son... When they were telling Pilate to crucify Jesus, you know what I was saying? Crucify him. 
God the Father was saying, crucify him. I mean, all those people had a vote, but you realize in the world there's only one vote that matters for anything. When Jesus looked up to the sky and his own countrymen were yelling, crucify him, he heard his own father say, crucify him. He said, no, 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 no. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. You know that word, gave him up? in the Greek language is translated 35 times in the New Testament as betray. The word for gave him up is the exact same word that is applied to Judas in his selling out of Jesus. You could easily translate that passage, and we understand why they didn't. He who did not spare his own son, but betrayed him for us. I was telling a friend of mine, I'm afraid to preach this sermon. Because when we say Jesus died for us, I think we have no clue what we're talking about. God is holy, perfect, sinless. He did no wrong. God the Father did Jesus no wrong that day. But listen to me. Judas had 30 pieces over here and Jesus over here. You know what he did? He went with the 30 pieces and gave up Jesus. Well, God the Father had you over here and Jesus over here. And you know what he did? He gave up Jesus for you. In that moment, think about this. I'm afraid to say it. In that moment, he chose you over Jesus. Crucify him. He chose the people who were calling for the blood of his son over his son. You know, now it's become very popular in scholarship, you know, real smart people who are now starting to feel the effects of what we're actually saying in the gospel. And they're starting to say, no, God, you never do that. No, no, no. They're starting to get really cute with the Bible. Because they're starting to realize the horror of what we're saying, what the Bible is actually saying about Jesus and the Father in this moment. I'm not going to get cute with the Bible. Romans 8.32 says, He did not spare his son, but gave him up. Isaiah 53 says, It pleased the Lord to what? Crush him. So yes, they're crying out, crucify him. And when Jesus looked to heaven, he heard, crucify him. Now, Isaiah 53 tells us 
why Jesus had to die. Isaiah 53 is very clear that Jesus had to die to make intercession for sinners, that he was buried the penalty for sinners. Isaiah 52 shows us what was happening on the outside to Jesus. Right? His appearance was marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond the children of mankind. Psalm 22 tells us what was happening internally to Jesus. How did he feel? What was he thinking? Like in the depths of his soul as he's being crucified, how does he truly feel? So here we go. Psalm 22 is about the crucifixion. You say, how do you know that? Well, uh, look, look at a couple things, okay? Number one, <clears throat> if you go to verse 16, verse 16b, it says, they pierced my hands and my feet. Um, <clears throat> David never had his hands and feet pierced. Okay? Never happened to David. Uh, it also talks about all who see me mock me. Verse 7, he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. That's almost verbatim what the Jewish leaders were saying to Jesus as he was hanging on the cross. So these are things that happened to Christ as he was being crucified. It also talks about them gambling for his clothes, which is exactly what the Roman soldiers did as he was hanging on the cross. They were actually gambling for his clothes. <clears throat> Verse 18. That never happened to David. This is a prophecy about Jesus. Now that we know that definitively, this is written about 600, 700 years before Jesus even walked the earth. This is a famous line. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? This is crazy. Jesus on the cross in that moment is saying, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Notice how it starts. My God, my God. What did I say my God meant in the Old Testament? That meant you were in covenant with God. That meant that you were, you were God's people. You were devoted to him. He was devoted to you. And really, when you think this through, why have you forsaken me? The word for forsaken means abandoned. It means to completely abandon and leave alone and leave to be held in the hands of your enemies. Jesus is accusing God of abandoning him. Why did you abandon me? Have you ever felt abandoned in your life? you ever felt left alone in your life? You ever felt that God just kind of left you to your enemies? Have you ever asked, where was God blank when? Where was God when? Where was God when this happened to me? Or where was God on 9-11? Or where was God on any of my personal travels? Where was he? Jesus is asking the same question. This is what is screamed out in the human heart at some point from all of us. Why did you abandon me? Here's the crazy thing, though. There's only one human being that has ever walked this planet that can ask that question and have a legitimate 
argument that God should not have abandoned them. Jesus kept his part of the covenant. When he says, my God, my God, he's referring to the covenant. I've kept the covenant perfectly. Why are you abandoning me? You see, let me just... You know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Isn't that true? But if one of you beautiful people was to die suddenly, you know what I would do? I'd say, why did you take them so young? Because I don't really believe, like really, really believe that people who sin deserve to die. You don't believe that. Like really, really bad people deserve to die. Not cute little kids who tell white lies about cookies. They don't deserve to die. You don't deserve to die. You don't deserve to die for, you know, a little thing like disrespecting your parents. Here, here's one. You don't deserve to die for not forgiving people. I mean, it's a command of Christ, and if you violate a command of Christ, that's sin, isn't it? You don't deserve to die for that. Like, if you did something truly bad, you deserve to die. That's why we accuse God of wrongdoing and abandoning us. Quote, unquote. You know what's interesting? I was looking at this word for forsaken or abandoned. And the majority of the time that that word is used, you know what it's used for? It's used for us abandoning God. It's used for people breaking covenant with God. Usually we say, you know, God had to forsake or abandon Christ so that he wouldn't have to abandon us. That's partially true, but the main issue is we abandoned God. You know, you see your buddy Cain there after he kills his brother, and God says, I'm not going to let anybody kill you, Cain. I'm going to protect you for the rest of your life. You know what Cain does? What did it say? Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Cain abandoned God. God didn't abandon Cain. And you know what else is crazy? God followed Cain. And blessed it. You go, no. Cain had children. Cain, Cain built a city. Do you know the scripture says children are a what from the Lord? A blessing, a reward. Cain turns his back on God. As soon as God says, I'm going to protect you, Cain says, word, I'm out of here. Thank you very much. I'm leaving. I want nothing to do with you. And God followed Cain with Cain's back to him for the rest of his life and proceeded to shower blessings on his head for the rest of his life. The worst person that you know in your life or that you've ever seen on the news has never experienced on this planet the abandonment of God. Never. Do you realize that when Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? That he's the only person who's ever truly, completely been abandoned by God this side of the grave. Some theologians are like, man, no, God, you know, Jesus was really abandoned. He was just quoting Psalm 22 so people could look in their Bibles and see this.
Because we don't want to deal with the fact of what we're actually saying here. Yes, he was quoting Psalm 22. And if you look at Psalm 22, this man is abandoned to die, which is exactly what happened to him. Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. When Jesus is on the cross and he is bearing our sin, he is carrying our sin. What is God saying? You see, when, when, well, here's the thing. To the very last moment of a person's life, God is there. You know, the theologians call it common grace. It gives grace to everyone. Very last moments. Here's Jesus by himself. God is not with him. You know, he's on the cross. And how does God the Father respond when Jesus is on the cross? What does he hear? You know what I used to tell people? I used to say, God was silent. I mean, is there anything worse than just plain silence when you're in a lot of trouble? And you know what God revealed to me? That was not completely true. When Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? There was a response. If you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew 25, verse 41. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Jesus is talking about the day of judgment. You guys know the story. You got folks on the right. You got folks on the left. Folks on the right got it made. Folks on the left, not so much. What does Jesus say as the judge? to those who are judged in Matthew 25, 41. What's it say? Somebody tell me. Depart from me, you cursed. Depart from me. You what? Cursed. You cursed. Depart from me. You cursed. See, depart, that means separate from me. Be separate from me. Get away from me. You cursed. You know what it was the job of the high priest in the Old Testament? You know that beautiful thing that we sing sometimes during communion or whatever? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn you and give you what? Peace. Here, on the day of judgment, there are people that are going to hear, depart from me, you cursed! You say, why are you saying Jesus heard this? Well, go to Deuteronomy 21-23. Now there's a Greek version of the Old Testament, but our version will suffice. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23. What it says is, 
And I want you to turn to it so that you can see it for yourself. The Greek version of the Old Testament says, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed by God. Anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed by God. I think your ESV says, everyone who is hung is cursed of God. Same idea. It says, don't leave the guy up overnight. Don't let him sleep on the tree. Anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed of God. Jesus on the cross is cursed of God. Paul says it explicitly in your Bible. Christ became the what? Cursed for us. Well, he wasn't just cursed in principle. He was cursed by God. Cursing is very, very personal. So is blessing. He was cursed. I have forsaken me. I have forsaken you, Jesus, because you became sin, like Kyle said last week. And because of that, you're cursed. When I say Jesus died for my sin, what I am saying is he bore my sin, which necessarily means he bore my curse. in the worst moment of his life, in the moment when he needed God the most, in the moment when he needed some encouragement, in the moment, I mean, you know, what is your impulse when you hear someone say they're abandoned by God? Don't you want to run? No, 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 no. No. In that moment, He's cursed, and he knows it. He's abandoned by his friends, abandoned by his countrymen, abandoned by even nature itself. Don't you remember the sun? Stop shining. Sun's like, I'm out of here. Can't see this. The sun that he created couldn't deal with it. And his own father, you're cursed. I'm not your God right now. You see why I'm afraid to preach this message? What are we actually saying? I was telling someone, you know, even at the end of Revelation, Jesus is called the Lamb. You know why? He's going to take forever to explain what he actually did. Because you don't get it. Neither do I. You know, if somebody sneezes, you say, God bless you. That is a very expensive sentence. <clears throat> That is a very expensive sentence. You know, Kyle said it. He said, you know, you want to look, very provocative statement. Do you want to see what sin is? Look at Jesus on the cross. You know, in John chapter 3, when he was explaining to Nicodemus what he was going to have to do, he said, just like the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness... So shall the Son of Man be lifted up. I remember for years I'd say, Jesus, that was a bad analogy that you chose. Don't compare yourself to no serpent. Jesus like, you don't know what you're talking about. See, the serpent is the epitome of all that's wrong and evil. And Jesus said, I am not wrong and evil, but I was bearing your serpent-like mess. And the serpent is a cursed animal. As a matter of fact, the first person that's cursed is who? The serpent. So of course he's 
going to compare himself to that when he's talking about the cross. Do you realize what it means to bear sin? Do you realize that your cute little bundle of joy stealing the cookies? Do you realize that cost? You realize you little white lie to your friends to make yourself look better than you really. You understand what that does? That carries with it a curse. If the blessing means that God is for you and that He is with you, the curse is that He's against you. In the Old Testament, God says, man, I will set my face against that man. God's face was set against Jesus. Now, seeing like that, I'm like, man, who was it worse for, the father or the son? I got three kids. I got four. You understand why Jesus was in the garden saying, God, let this let this pass from me. That must have been the hardest no of all time for God to say. No. He said, Jesus, the only thing worse than having to forsake you having to forsake them. One or the other. I can't do it. You gotta go. You see how much God loves you? I think probably the worst sin ever Accuse God of abandoning us. Don't you ever in your life do that again? Don't you ever accuse God of abandoning you? Not after He paid this for you. The father having to abandon his son. He didn't hate Jesus, he ate sin. Never abandoned you. I cry by day and you do not answer. You know, Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus. You know what he said? He said, Father, you always hear me. I'm just praying in public so these people can know how awesome you are. Not this time. Didn't hear him. down to verse 6. What does Jesus say? I am a worm and not a man. <clears throat> I mean, everything in Genesis 1 is being undone. He creates them in his image and he blesses them. Blessing's gone. He's cursed now. I'm not even a man. Remember what Kyle taught us last week, Isaiah 52? It said... His appearance was so marred, what? Beyond human semblance? 
and is formed beyond the children of mankind. That is on the outside. On the inside, he's saying, what I feel now matches what I look like. I don't look like a human being on the outside, and I don't feel like one on the inside. Completely and totally dehumanized. Inside and out. Don't think that Jesus just took those blows like a champ, but he was up there going, yeah, I got this. I'm not a worm. I'm a worm and not a man. Do you realize what Isaiah 52 said? It says his appearance was marked beyond the appearance of mankind. You know what that means? He wasn't even the image of God. He wasn't even the image of man. That's how low he went. He went below the image of man. He doesn't even dishonor somebody. You're dishonoring the fact that they're an image bearer of God. He's below the image of man on the cross. And you don't believe me that he just said it. I'm a worm and not a man. If you would have looked at Jesus, he wouldn't have been able to be discerned as a human being. What did Kyle say? He said, that is what sin does. It dehumanizes us. Hell is a society of dehumanized humans. Whatever that means. Why do you think Brian's out there preaching every Friday? You think abortion is the ultimate issue? He's preaching the gospel. Because if you don't believe the gospel, you will lose your humanity. You will lose what it means to be human. He lost it. You wouldn't be able to recognize him as human. Because sin dehumanizes us. That's why I'm so afraid to preach this. Do I even know what I'm saying? You know, human history is just littered with human beings doing this to one another. Oh, it's not a baby, it's a fetus. Oh, it's not your Jewish neighbor, that's intervention. Let's bring him to the gas chambers. Oh, that's not some beautiful image of God from Africa, that's a nigger. Put him in the field. All of us do this to one another. And what is Jesus doing on the cross? He's taking his place in the abortion clinic. He is gassed in Auschwitz. He's on the field. He's dehumanized. And he went lower than anyone has ever gone on this side of the grave. And I'm saying that this was God who did this. I'm not saying a good guy did this. I'm saying God Almighty lowered himself to be a human <coughs> and then he lowered himself to be subhuman we've never been humble a day in our lives have we? not like Jesus I am a worm and not a man scorned by what? mankind see I feel so bad for Jesus Scorned by mankind. Guess what? You are mankind. You are mankind. There were Jews, and there were Gentiles scorning Jesus on the cross. That's you. That's all of humanity. You scorned him. You say, I would never scorn Jesus. 
I have so much empathy in my heart. I see pictures of, of, of you know, aborted babies and I'm horrified. I would never scorn Jesus. You're wrong. God left you to yourself and you were at that cross, you would have scorned him because you're part of mankind. And he's dealing with all of this so that he can give you your humanity, so that he can give you honor, so that he can give you glory. He say, I'm going to bear all of this curse, abandonment, dehumanization for you, despised by the people, all who see me mock me. Despised. Don't you remember when Nathan was confronting David over his sin? He said, you despised the Lord. The Lord said to David, you despised me. Sin is a despising of God. What does it mean to sin? What does blessing mean? What does cursing mean? What does it mean that Jesus died for you? And there's Jesus on the cross. Beaten within an inch of his life, dehumanized. Abandoned. <coughs> and what is his thought? What is Jesus worried about? There's a thief on one side saying, hey, remember me. You'll be with me in paradise. He looks down and sees his mom. Gotta take care of mom. looking at the people mocking him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They knew, they knew who I was. They wouldn't do this. Is that... Uh, it's a serious question. Like When people sin against you, is that your impulse? Like if people knew who God was, not who you are, but if people knew, is that your impulse? Like, God, if they knew who you were, they wouldn't do this to me, so forgive them. Is that your impulse? Or somebody did something to you? Now look, I don't know how many, you know, there are horrible things that happen to people in this, in this room. I'm not trivializing it, but look, now is not the time to compare resumes of suffering, is it? You got nothing. Who are we to hold grudges? Who are we to be angry at someone for a moment for crossing us? You know why? We lost the meaning. You just lost the meaning. You just keep saying Jesus died for you, but you don't. We don't. We don't get it. We don't really know. We haven't dwelt on it at all. If we did, you know what would happen? You would wish that somebody 
could do something to you so that you could forgive them like Jesus. He said, oh, what did Paul say? I want to know Christ and the what? Fellowship of his suffering. You're not supposed to preach this pastor. You're supposed to look at this pastor and say, hey, fella, you've ever felt abandoned? Well, God felt abandoned too. And he can relate to you. Wrong? That's not the question. The question is, can you relate to him in his suffering? Because he's the main sufferer of all humanity. That's the question. Can you relate to him? You ever felt lonely? Can you relate to him? Not he can relate to you. Because he's actually been alone. You've never been alone. You ever been falsely accused? Let me explain something to you. You've never been falsely accused in your life. You know what? You've just been accused of the wrong category of sin. That's all. That's it. But okay. You've been accused of the wrong category of sin. You have a 0.2% understanding of what it feels like to be like Jesus. It's not can Jesus relate to you. Let's just get done with that, okay? Nobody has suffered like him. So now Paul looks at his sufferings. He goes, man, I want the fellowship of his suffering. He says, I want to know Christ. You know why? Because Paul's always thinking about the cross and thinking about the depths of what that cost him. And so he's like, man, I want to go there with you. Why do you think these guys are sinning as they're being assaulted, treated unfairly, singing in jail? Because they're like, whoa, look at this ridiculous honor of being able to suffer like Jesus. And now it's like, now I know a little bit more of who you are. And we've misinterpreted all of our suffering. You know, you talk about bearing your cross and it's some horrible, oh, I have to bear my cross, but I'm going to grind it out because I'm like a Navy SEAL Christian. That's me. I'm projecting myself on you guys. Oh, we're so foolish. No. It's God saying, I'm going to bring you into what my son endured so that you can have that fellowship bring you back to this moment. I was in a, I was in, you know, on the Planned Parenthood one time, and some guy called me a, you know, or better. It didn't affect me at all. I'm like, this guy's trying to dehumanize me. Good. Now I know a little bit of what it meant for Jesus to endure that. That was me in my good moments. 98% of the moments, I mean, you guys know me. But you understand it's not about stop being selfish. It's not about stop being self-centered. Forget about being a good guy or a bad guy. Forget it. I'm just saying, do you want fellowship with Jesus or no? If you want fellowship with Jesus, then this is for you. This side of eternity, you're going to have to have this affliction. And it's a privilege. Jesus doing 10 million things on the cross. One of the things he's doing on the cross is redeeming suffering and he turns suffering instead of something that is designed to isolate us, which is suffering usually does, it's something that's designed to bring you into a moment that is inexplicable to human beings. So that when you wake up for the last time and the first time and you see your Savior and he has nail prints, you're going to be able to say, 
I know how you feel. And you and Jesus will both know that you have no idea what you're talking about. And Jesus will say, I know. I know. Now let me show you what it really meant. And we do everything we possibly can to avoid that. Here's one response. Please come on Sunday. Because for all this brutality, we have got to stay in the glory of the resurrection. It is appropriate for Friday. It's appropriate to cry on Friday. Very appropriate. One thing I would say, though, is please come on Sunday so that we can also hear about the glory of the resurrection. That's number one. Number two, doesn't Jesus deserve our worship? Like the ugliness of this moment and the ugliness of what human beings do to other human beings. He said, I'm going to take it all within myself, bury it, and then when I rise from the dead, that's over with. Doesn't he deserve your worship every moment of your life? If Jesus never did anything for you, and he can't not do it. Father can't not do it. But if he never did anything for you for the rest of your life, isn't this everything? Doesn't he deserve your honor for this? Be thankful. Be grateful. Don't spit on the cross. I was watching this movie. It's a terrible movie. It's called Silence. Don't watch it. I'm going to give you a spoiler so you don't watch it. And it's about these Catholic uh, monks who go to Japan during a very heavy persecution. And uh, during this persecution, what they would do is they'd take a picture of Jesus and, they, and then you'd step on it. And so, if you stepped on it, they'd leave you alone. But if you didn't, they did horrible things to you. Terrible forms of torture. And the entire movie centered around this one priest who's like, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to betray Christ. I'm never going to do that. And by the end of the movie, he becomes so disillusioned and he ends up doing it. He steps on the picture of Christ. Look at this guy. I was so angry. What a sellout. I was legit angry. I'm still bitter about it. So I'm like destroying the movie because I don't even want people to see it. And look at this dishonor of Christ. The Lord said, why are you angry? Why are you angry? You don't do that? You, you don't think? You don't think that that's what your sin is? so silly. None of us would dare step on a picture. If I brought a picture of Jesus, step on this picture of Jesus on the cross. You would never do that! Don't you realize that that's what sin is? Be grateful. Be grateful. Worship. 
Worship as best you can, as loud as you can. Never forget what was done on the cross. You got two ordinances in the Christian church. You got communion, which is about the body and the blood. Communion's about Friday. Baptism's about what? Sunday. He never wants us to forget what he did for us. It's been a crazy passion week for me because I'm actually looking at these texts probably for the first time in my life because I always skipped it. And I always used to say it's because I love Jesus so much I don't want to see him that way. The Lord said, it's just your pride. You don't want to follow a Jesus that would let himself get treated like that. You don't want to follow Jesus that would get dehumanized like that because that must mean that you have to do that. You want to follow a Jesus who stands in a crowd and takes on some Pharisees. That's who you want to follow. You don't want to follow a guy who willingly submitted to unfair racist treatment. You don't want to follow a guy who's slandered and keeps his mouth shut and doesn't defend himself. You don't want to do that. I'll say, be grateful, worship him, follow him, follow him. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face. Face will never be set against you. Realize this? God's face will never be set against you if you're in Christ. Your worst moment, if you look up at the face of God, He's for you. Instead of depart from me, you curse, He's saying, Come to me, you blessed. Lord, cause His face to shine upon you. Because the fire of the wrath of God fell on Christ. The Lord's grace and mercy now shines upon you. The Lord turns to you and gives you peace. Have it. It's yours. Because God the Father went to war against his son. Believe the gospel. If you don't believe the gospel, you should believe it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the cross. Thank you for my children. Thank you for my sons. Thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice, Father. And help us to remember Good Friday. Help us to live as Friday and Sunday people. Help us to be gracious to people, God. God, I pray that you'd strengthen my brothers and sisters through your eternal spirit so that when they get to carry their cross with their Savior, that they would see it as fellowship of suffering. God, I pray that we would all leave this world with stars so that we can be with our Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for even allowing us to have fellowship in your suffering, even though we have no idea what you suffered. You're good to us, Jesus. We thank you for it. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this resource from Cell 53, Proclaiming the Kingdom of God for the Sake of the City. For more resources, visit cell53.com.